I'm Natasha. And I'm Sarah. We're two girlfriends who met in the entertainment industry where we found the most important commonality, our faith in Jesus. This is our faith-based podcast where we share with you guys encouragement from the Word of God, different struggles that we faced as believers, and how we navigate being in the world but not of the world. We are Covered Covered by by Grace. Welcome back to the Covered by Grace podcast. In this episode today, we are going to be talking all about justice, what God requires of us to act justly, and the reality of one of the largest injustices happening right now all over the world, and that is human trafficking. So we have a very special guest joining us who has an incredibly inspiring God story when it comes to fighting for justice. We are joined by the National Director of Development of IJM Canada, Philip Calvert. And guys, if God has been pressing on your heart to start living a lifestyle of justice, you won't want to miss this episode. So without further ado, welcome, Philip. We are so honored to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to speak with you, like we just said. So before we jump into your story, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your role at IJM Canada and what that looks like? Sure, yeah. Um, I have one of the best jobs in the world, I have to say. Uh, my job essentially boils down on like a day-to-day basis of just inspiring really, really great people to be the best that they can be. And so I have a a really dedicated uh, team of people across the country, right from Vancouver uh, into Ontario, that uh, is just uh, dedicated uh, and just tenacious and creative around how to tell the stories and how to raise money uh, in in what it means to fight human trafficking globally. And so uh, my job really is just to inspire people to be the best they can be and um, to support them. So uh, it's it's just it's it's a really fun job. Well, that's awesome. That sounds very inspiring. And since this is obviously a faith-based podcast, we know you have your own story of faith. So, would you be able to tell us about your upbringing as a Christian and kind of how that shaped who you are today? Totally. Yeah. So um, I grew up here in uh, Calgary, Alberta, and uh, I would say that um, my upbringing was pretty pretty standard for a lot of a lot of people growing up. Right, kind of like a, a suburban type of house uh my sister and my parents uh just kind of all going uh, to church to some degree or another um but uh my dad was not really fully in the picture all the time because uh like lots of people in calgary he's very heavily involved in the in the uh oil industry mm-hmm. and so for him that would mean uh going and, and being a pipeliner uh, helping with uh kind of getting oil from drilling rigs to wherever they're going and so he's, he would be gone uh, for up to four or five, six months at a time, sometimes to kind of during my early, early adolescence and teenage years. And um, so th- like for me, that create, created a little bit of a, uh, if you want to call it like a, a vacuum or a hole of looking for kind of that uh, kind of male um, mentorship, uh, role models, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really found that in the church. And... Uh, my mom was always very insistent to my sister and I that we that we went to church and that we were a part of the community. And um, I'm sure I'm sure she might have different stories to tell in terms of like dragging us out of bed in the morning to make sure that uh, we actually get to church. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. for for me, it was uh, it was really fun to be a part of it. I felt like I found a community of people that uh, really cared uh, about my life and I cared about their life and. Um, 
had a lot of fun with that. And uh, so like, I, I just wanted to be a youth pastor when I grew up because, you know, I looked up to my youth pastor so much. And um, so that's what I kind of pursued in my, in my life. It was, uh, I went to Bible college, like straight out of high school, um, was uh, basically a, a half-time, full-time youth pastor through going to Bible college uh, through those four years. Um, and so, yeah, for, for me, it was all about um, wanting to make a difference for kids like me that grew up that were looking for a place to belong. And so, um, yeah. That's awesome. And I think a lot of people who are also pastors themselves uh, grew up with a similar story like yours who who was inspired by a youth pastor or someone in their life sim- similar to your situation. But we do know that there was a pivotal moment in your life at a job that you had in your teens where something happened that would totally change the trajectory of your path. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, when I was, I think it was the first year of that Bible college. So I was probably 18, 19 years old, somewhere in that range. Um, I was a uh, uh, security guard, just kind of doing like night security, trying to uh, make a little bit of money while I was going to school, pay for school, that kind of thing. And uh, I ended up being, uh, the way that they had it set up was I had this little truck that uh, I would drive around the outside perimeter of the parking lot of McMahon Stadium, which is for those that like CFL, it's where the Calgary Stampeders play. <laughs> and uh, so I was had this little kind of quarter-ton truck that I would drive around the outside uh, once an hour and uh, just kind of look for anything suspicious and document it, basically, because like, all, all they give you as, as a security guard is a flashlight and a cell phone, right? So like, if anything's serious, don't try to do anything. Just, uh, just call, call 911. <laughs> and um, so uh, as I was driving around... Uh, I noticed this, like, uh, kind of like a car that you would expect to see in the Fast and the Furious, right? Like ground effect lighting, um, super fast, uh, hopped up, you know, whatever descriptor you want to use. And as I drove up to it, uh, this little truck that I had had a little rotating light on the on the roof of it. So I flipped the switch to turn that on. And uh, I was kind of excited about it because I was like, this first time I get to use this. <laughs> and uh, so I turned it on. And then as soon as I did that, uh, one of the doors flings open of this car and a body is pushed out of it. Um, and then this car just absolutely peels away in a cloud of burnt rubber. Wow. And um, so right away I go from being kind of excited about using the light to like my hands are frozen on the wheel. I'll just be like, oh, wow, I have no idea what to do. And um, for those that are wondering kind of how the story concludes uh, this this woman she was she was fine um she was alive she had just been assaulted by three uh men in the car um and so uh, i i was just left kind of what do i do here and for me that was a really catalyzing moment in my life because um i was kind of having a bit of an existential type of crisis in that moment because here I am being trained at Bible college to figure out how do I help people. And then when the lights are turned on, right, the, the proverbial lights are turned on and I have an opportunity to help somebody, mm-hmm. I was left with a very, very sick feeling in my stomach because I didn't know what to do. And um, so that caused me to think like, okay, so the, the theology training that I was getting, the leadership training that I was getting, that's valuable. It has its own value for sure. But 
what am I missing? What, what are the ingredients that I'm missing? How do I dig deeper? How do I, how do I help people at a more physical kind of um, way? And so like for me, that's, that's where justice comes in, right? Because justice is very gritty. It's very, mm-hmm. you can touch it, you can feel it. It's something that, um, that requires action, that, that people need to do something. And in that, in that moment, it was like, I don't know what to do. And like that, that justice piece for me was, for me was missing. Mm-hmm. And so that, that kind of kicked off in, in hindsight. I didn't realize it at the time. But in hindsight, that kind of kicked off a journey for myself of figuring out what does it actually mean to live justly as a Christian? Mm-hmm. Because when those lights are turned on, I want to know what to do. Yeah. Wow. That's, in, that's incredible. And it's it's amazing how... God will use these types of situations to like as terrible as that is that that actually changed changed so much for you it had you like question everything or question how am I actually supposed to put this into practice what do I do about it and as much as that's a, a very traumatic situation I'm sure that like you were saying it it did it it did change like it made you think um and obviously this fire was lit in your heart to help those who were being exploited and enslaved. And I know that in um, a prior interview that I watched, you mentioned, well, and you also said now you mentioned not knowing how to help. So what was that like wrestling with this knowledge that you had now about what was going on and not knowing what to do about it? How did you like come to a conclusion? Yeah, um, that's, that's a multi-year answer in terms of my, my journey. Um, so like going beyond that point, um, I went back to Bible college, finished my degree, uh, got married to my wife and, um, kind of started looking for other ways to, to try to exercise kind of more, um, action oriented kind of steps than what I was kind of seeing in my own church at the time. And uh, so, so I ended up working for a youth organization that went to like public schools and try to be more proactive of try to find kids that um, maybe aren't necessarily going to a church. And so trying to kind of just get more into the world of, of teenage kind of culture and, and try to have an impact there. Um, and like that was good, definitely for a time. Uh, did that for about eight or nine years and uh, really enjoyed that at, at different points for sure. Uh, but it, it, it still never really answered that question that I was still left with in that parking lot. And um, it, it wasn't until uh, I was actually working kind of in, in more of a, an academic uh, field of doing fundraising for the University of Calgary that um, uh, I came across a, uh, a TED Talk of our founder, uh, Gary Haugen. And um, someone just recommended that I look into them because it might be a really cool job for me to, to pursue. And uh, as I was kind of doing my due diligence of figuring out what this thing is, uh, I watched his talk and uh, it, it, it hit me like a, a load of bricks right in, in the middle of the chest, like that just like visceral response of like, holy cow, this is an answer I've been looking for for like at least 10 years, maybe even 14 years by that point. And... It, it it's not like the I now know what to do in that parking lot should that come up again it's more how can I leverage uh, the the toolbox that I have to make mm-hmm. a difference for people around the world and so like the toolbox that I have with me because of the experience and the training that I had 
is public speaking, is some fundraising, some staff management, leadership, those kinds of things. And so it got me really thinking that this is this is an area I can I can lean my expertise into and and help to make a difference while satisfying that question that I've been wrestling with for so long. That's amazing. So you also went to the Philippines and to South Asia, and you were able to witness firsthand the victims of human trafficking children and their social workers. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was like and what that did to your faith being so hands-on with this? Yeah. So if, if I were to take a step back and go back to where we started of kind of my faith growing up, um, one of the things that was is really foundational in terms of my own story of faith is that um, faith for me was self-definitional, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and the way that I experienced the faith, that the kind of the brand, if you want to use the, the denominational kind of influence of the type of church that I was going to really influence that. And uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of beauty and there's, like any denomination, there's beauty and there's drawbacks, there's trade-offs in terms of what's emphasized versus what's not, those kinds of things. And for myself, it was, it was a pretty rigid understanding of what uh, kind of faith means, of, of, of how people should interact with it and those kinds of things. And so when growing up, you know, if you have like 10-year-old Phil, 12-year-old Phil, of finding value in that, I'd kind of subconsciously, I found out through kind of working this out with a counselor afterwards, that um, my faith was constructed in order to protect 10 and 12 year old Phil, but it wasn't necessarily constructed to help Phil that's going to South Asia and the Philippines and seeing things that people shouldn't see, right? Mm. And um, what was really kind of eye-opening for me in those experiences is that I encountered people that had a faith that was spurred on by the things that they were seeing, that the hard things that they were working against. Um, and I found myself shying away from my faith as I, was, as I was interacting with those same things, which caused me to be like, okay, what's going on here? Because like I've been so like dyed in the wool right from, right from like my earliest memories are in churches. Mm-hmm. And then why, as soon as like I'm experiencing things that are more difficult, am I saying like, well, I don't know this is for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, while at the same time, I'm interacting with my colleagues that are seeing the same thing and more and more frequently that are saying like, let's like absolutely lean into our faith to help us get through this. I'm like, okay, there's, there's something clearly is missing in terms of my own understanding. And um, so talking with those people being encouraged by our, our staff, um, having some real kind of firsthand interactions with children that were way younger than I was expecting them to be. Um, and, and you kind of layered into your own story too, right? Like if my own daughter, who when I was in South Asia was about five years old um, and seeing girls that were about the same size as her or smaller in aftercare uh, facilities that are meant for human trafficking survivors, mm-hmm. Uh, or going to the Philippines and um, getting a really strong sense of what uh, we call uh, the online sexual exploitation of children looks like and how young children can be there, right? Like we've we rescued kids from that space uh, kind of below six months old. And so like those are really, really hard 
realities that um, growing up in church, we, we didn't even come close to talking about those things. Um, and so when I was kind of expecting the faith that I grew up with to bear the weight of those things, I found myself gravitating away from it because the way that it was constructed, the way that it was constructed wasn't meant to deal with those issues. Um, which for me kicked off another layer of like, okay, so going back to the parking lot, I needed to figure out a more physical response to this thing. And then you start layering in this kind of faith question mark kind of stuff around it as well. It's like, okay, I need to figure out a more fulsome or more uh, robust way uh, to think about my faith now too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's that sounds very heavy. And I'm sure for a lot of people, that would just be so jarring to experience to go to these countries and like you were saying to actually see the victims being this young it's it's like it's unimaginable and I feel like our brains just kind of shut it off and it's it's unfortunately sometimes it's easier to not think about and that's the issue with um the ignorance towards the issue because it's so difficult to wrap our minds around how how something like this can happen um and i totally agree with our faith i feel like i don't know let me know if how this was for you but i think that for me if i was seeing that it's it's hard to it's just like why how does i mean god doesn't not that he allows this to happen but it's difficult to say like you know god these are your children and this is happening to them um so what advice i guess would you give to to people who are struggling with with their faith and dealing with injustices or traumas or things like that. Like, I don't know if it's like the church needs to maybe be equipping us better with counseling or inner healing or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, I think at a pretty significant level, um, one, one, one thing that's been really helpful that I've kind of learned through counseling is, is what does f- the word faith mean? Um, because quite often what I find for myself when, when I had that kind of that tension thing that was happening where I was struggling to figure out what does faith mean for me now um, is that I misunderstood the word faith as meaning certain about something um, so like the, the idea that um, because, of, because of the kind of the more rigid type of teaching that I received kind of growing up it was, I, I, I know exactly what I know. And like, I'm super confident in that. And uh, that's enough for me. Um, until it's, it's really not. <laughs> and right. yeah. um, then that brings in the question of what actually is a better defini- definition of the word faith. Um, and so for me, like to use the, like the t- tried and true analogy of a chair, right? Um, to have faith to sit in the chair, sure, I, I trust that it's going to hold me up. Um, but I don't know who made it. I don't know if they use good techniques. I don't know if, the, if there's any rot in there. Um, all those kinds of things. And so there's always going to be an element of doubt uh, mm-hmm. in order to actually have faith. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think for me, what's been really, really life-giving and helpful is to hold things a little bit more with an open hand posture as opposed to a closed fist, understanding that I am going to have doubts and that's where faith comes in. Right. Um, and so just switching that a little bit for me in my mind was 
was really, really helpful. Until all are free. As you have heard, we have partnered with International Justice Mission Canada and are so excited and passionate about the opportunity because we believe that freedom and dignity are inherent human rights that must be tangibly realized, celebrated, and sustained. Come alongside us and join in the fight until all are free. And 10% of net profit from the Covered by Grace clothing line goes directly to IJM to help their initiatives. Check out IJM.ca and learn how to become a freedom partner today. That's awesome. I also have a, a little quote that kind of reminds me of what you just said there. It's actually one of my favorite quotes. I'm just pulling it up. But it says, faith means that you have peace even when you don't have all the answers. And that's kind of how I look at faith for myself is obviously there's going to be a lot of questions and doubts that you still have, but just having peace, knowing that God will um, provide the way for you and and lead you down the right path. So I love that. Um, One of your incredible accomplishments is that you gave a TED talk called Cyber Sex Trafficking, Your Phone and Saving Children's Lives. Can you tell us about that TED talk? And congratulations, by the way. Thanks. Um, That was a really fun journey because uh, it's like having the work that I do quite often I'll end up at like a networking kind of thing and just like people are like oh what do you do for a living and so I'll start telling them oh this is what I do for a living and people are like oh I wasn't expecting to hear that right yeah and and, uh can kind of gravitate Mm -hmm. away from the conversation rather naturally yeah um and uh which is if you watch the talk that's kind of where I start with it right like if you uh, I kind of the hook I use in that talk is that um, if you find yourself in a, at a dinner party where like you're talking to someone and it feels super awkward, you kind of want to find a parachute or a way out of that. I, if I happen to be there, just wave me over because I can guarantee you I can probably kill that conversation in about 10 seconds flat. Um, <laughs> and uh, which is I've done that. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's so what happened there was I was having that kind of a conversation at a networking lunch. And the person I was talking to really leaned in as opposed to shying away. I was like, oh, interesting. And so we talked some more. Turns out she was on the organizing committee for this TEDx group uh, called TEDxYYC here in Calgary. And um, so she was uh, looking for an additional speaker because uh, the conference that that um, particular TEDx was doing that year uh, was called You Are Here. So it it was all about the theme basically was Um, what's all the different advances in in technology or uh, just kind of general kind of human achievement that that has us where we are now and then where are we going from there? And so it's a a very like rah-rah, like like there's so much amazing opportunity in the world, which is very true and all that kind of stuff. But they were looking for a little bit of a counterbalance uh, to that kind of general arc of storytelling uh, where you could bring in like a component of technology in this case. So uh, cyber sex trafficking uh, is the same thing I've mentioned earlier of uh, the online sexual exploitation of children. And so uh, basically that's uh, the the perversion of technology like what we're using right now of uh, a video chat platform or um, could be like Facebook video chats, uh, WhatsApp video chats, whatever that um, basically facilitates an opportunity for people to use that in order to harm somebody else. And so it's, it's a form of modern human trafficking um, mm-hmm. that doesn't require travel, like kind of you would associate like sex tours and that kind of thing. Um, so you can kind of hurt children pretty fundamentally from just in your own home type of thing. 
and probably and, a lot easier in that way uh-huh. too. Yeah. Yeah. There's lower barriers for the perpetrator, but mm-hmm. super high barriers for recovery for the victims because it's in their own home too. Right. And so it's, um, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a particularly messed up version of human trafficking to be mm-hmm. perfectly clear. Um, and uh, so I, I would kind of was yeah. invited to share that story uh, to this group. And kind of the fun part of getting to that stage was uh, I was invited to meet with the, the, the head curator that kind of chooses this, the speeches. And uh, I was kind of thinking maybe in my own arrogance a little bit, uh, just kind of thinking like this is like a, an introductory conversation. I'm kind of already in and just get to know you and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so when I meet with him, he's like, okay, sorry, super busy day. Uh, you have about five minutes right now. So like, just tell me what you would say, should you be successful in actually landing the stock? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's that kind of conversation. And uh, so, uh, so I just went for it and just started talking. And I don't fully remember what I even said in that lunch, but uh, it must have worked. <laughs> because um, that w- anyway, so then the, that kicks off a whole journey beyond that point of working with a coach and refining the script and going through like 17 different versions of it and all that kind of stuff and then memorizing it and and yeah, it, was a, it was a really cool experience uh if people have an opportunity i definitely recommend it but it's um yeah yeah no that's in, that's incredible we both loved listening to your ted talk and uh, we definitely recommend for our listeners to um, google that so it is cyber sex trafficking your phone and saving children's lives and yeah we definitely recommend that um, and that's just such an incredible accomplishment and i'm i'm so happy that 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 talk can reach so many people and just bring awareness because it is really scary how it's just so accessible now with the phones and and just the fact that it's all around us and it's happening to it's happening to people around us that we wouldn't even have a clue um, as well as the people that are involved in it. So um, yeah, it's it's just incredible the work that you're doing. Um, and just a question. So we know that you obviously love working uh, with IJM. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about, I know you mentioned uh, when we were kind of chatting off podcast about something that you love about IJM that you guys get to do, but kind of like a moment of silence. Could you tell us about that? Sure. Yes. Uh, this is one of those things where it's just like, how does faith help you to get through these kinds of things? Um, one of the things that I so deeply appreciate about the, the foresight of leadership within IJM is to specifically allocate time for processing uh, kind of the things that we see. And so we have rhythms, we call them, uh, kind of within the life of working for IJM. And so one of those is stillness, uh, kind of start each day, all kind of 1200 staff around the world that uh, kind of the first thing that we do is just take a moment of stillness to see like, God, the things that I'm about to do and work in and read and share are gonna suck. And so God, like help me through it, um, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just like, that God, you be in it as well. Because um, like in our own strength, we can do mm-hmm. certain things, but there's so much more that we can do. Um, and then a second rhythm is that we, every office around the world pauses at different times. Um, in, in North America, we, we pause at about uh, 11.30 uh, uh, Eastern time. So like uh, 9.30 where I am here in Calgary. And mm-hmm. uh, just as a staff team, right now it's a Zoom call, but just everybody hops on there and just like, what's, what's the things that we're carrying? 
personally, professionally, uh, what are the things that we're, you know, know about that are happening around the world? Uh, how can we kind of lean in and support each other in that? Um, and then we, we have four times a year, we actually have a, a pause and retreat uh, for a whole day. And then also uh, we have one day of solitude uh, that we have available to us as well. And, and these are all paid time within kind of the working life of IJM. Um, but it's, it's something that we value as, as kind of essential in order for us to actually do our job. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It's actually really cool to see a company do that and instill those practices. Um, obviously, it's very important with the line of work and, and just having God at the center of it. But to actually see that being instilled is very cool. Um, so for people listening who have the longing to see justice and they want to help so desperately, but they just don't know where to start, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So th- there's a there's a book uh, that one of our our, our leaders uh, wrote. His name's Jim Martin. So he's kind of in charge of spiritual formation as an organization because that's a job, which mm-hmm. is so cool. Um, <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> but uh, uh, he 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 proposes three E's. He calls them so: uh, encounter, explore, and engage. And so um, perhaps someone who's listening to his podcast is encountering things that uh, are being shared for the first time of like the age of victims or um, you know, what human trafficking is, those kinds of things. And might be like, ooh, that like, like feel that. Um, quite often a way of describing that would be like a shattering moment. So my worldview has been shifted because something I just learned has shattered my current worldview. Um, that's okay. Like it's, I think one thing that's really, really bad about kind of the social media era that we live in is that everybody feels like as soon as whatever information you're intaking, you have to be able to just like absorb it and like don't react, just keep on moving forward, all that kind of stuff. I think what's really important is to say that sometimes you learn stuff that you need to emotionally deal with. Um, And so that's okay. Um, So that's the first part, the encounter. Um, And the second part is explore, which is absolutely vital. Um, and in a way, it's kind of what I did for 10 to 14 years, whatever that phase was, where I was trying to answer that question myself from that parking lot towards, towards seeing Gary's TED Talk, is, is finding out, like, okay, so I, w- I want to do something, right? So, um, which, is, which is the engage part, right? And lots of people make the mistake of they encounter something, they have an emotional reaction, and then they go directly to engage. If I want to I change the world, I want to move to... I want to move to Tibet or I want to move to in, like wherever and just make a difference. So, like they just, I can't deal with the fact that this is a thing. Um, that typically ends up in famous burnout, like just people being crushed. Um, and so that explore part is absolutely vital because for me, that was figuring out, you know, the public speaking part of it, developing my own kind of understanding of how to do fundraising and staff management and those kinds of things, because then that becomes my contribution towards this fight. For others, that might be, um, I have an artistic bent to myself, and so I want to maybe do some painting and figure out a way to utilize that for some kind of reason. Um, Or, you know, it could be a thousand different things, like everybody's created differently, and they have unique skill sets and abilities to, to kind of weigh into it. Um, but that connection point of justice of figuring out how to get your hands dirty um, requires a little bit of internal inventory building. So 
what is that internal inventory thing that I can rely on so that when I do engage, I can engage authentically, I can engage fully, I can engage in a way that makes sense to me and that doesn't lead to that kind of famous burnout type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. That's really cool how you mentioned the three mm-hmm. E's as well. That's actually a really great perspective because we talk about our callings a lot on this podcast. And I think that explore part is so vital in knowing your calling that God has for you. And so in this case, it's it's amazing as well because you realize what your strengths are, maybe what your weaknesses are, and then how you can approach the next step um, with the encounter phase. So I think that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And how can people get involved with IJM? Yeah, so I was thinking about that, like just thinking about what would people listening to your podcast kind of make sense mm-hmm. uh, for a way of doing that. And uh, I would say there's two things. Um, number one, do a little bit of, of just learning to, uh, just learning, right? So um, read some materials. Uh, I highly recommend uh, that book uh, that uh, Jim Martin wrote, Where the Three E's Come From, is called Just Church. Um, I would really recommend people just kind of going on Amazon and picking that up. It's just a great read. Um, another thing is uh, once you're kind of in that inventory building time, it's okay to do a little bit of testing maybe. Um, and maybe a, a fun test that can kind of help people dip their feet into the water a little bit is something called uh, the uh, Drisember campaign. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's really fun, and like <laughs> men and women can both do it. Uh, I did it last year, wore a different tie every day uh, during the month of December. Oh, that's awesome! And um, uh, ended up diving in a snowbank once I hit my fundraising goal and like posted <laughs> online. That kind of fun thing. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, for for men or women to just kind of find a way to to dress up uh, and kind of raise awareness mm-hmm. and the heart of where that comes from basically is saying I'm going to restrict my wardrobe for the month of December kind of to be in line with people who have basically no freedom or no ability to choose something as simple as what are they going to wear um, and so uh, that could be a really fun way to just kind of gather a group of friends do something together set a fundraising goal it could be 100 bucks could be 10,000 whatever uh, just to try to uh, see if that if that's a, a way to to kind of get things going, because there's also an education mm-hmm. component to that as well. Like you learn as you kind of go through that journey, and so th- I would say that would be a really great thing to just go to uh, uh, just Google uh, December Canada, so it's D R E S S E M B E R, and uh, see if that's something that um, is fun. Mm, yeah, that's so good. And you know what, actually, we're going to be posting on our, our Instagram, the Covered by Grace Instagram about December when it's coming up. So for our listeners as well, uh, they will be able to see that we'll be promoting it. And um, so that's, yeah, that's very exciting. And like you said, it's like a simple way and a realistic way for people to get involved. So um, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to thank you so much, Philip, for joining us. And we just commend you for the work that you do. And most importantly, we know that all the glory goes to God for this work and for using you as a vessel to to help uh, free these people. Any, uh, just before we're closing, any anything else that you just wanted to add for our listeners? Any closing thoughts? Sure. Um, I would say that, uh, uh, getting back to that Explore Engage thing, Um using kind of a personal story for myself. Uh, I've been skydiving before. Uh, loved it. I think anybody who's wants to do it, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so much fun. Um, 
And I've also tried to go bungee jumping. And I got onto the platform and I got, you know, harnessed up, all that kind of stuff. And then I chickened out and, and didn't jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because when we look at things from 10,000 foot view, uh, mm-hmm. the consequences of if the parachute doesn't open feels too far away to be to feel real, uh, at, least, at least for me, uh, versus bungee jumping where it's like that's significantly closer. So something goes wrong. I can visualize something going bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the whole world of fighting slavery, human trafficking is like that. And that it's from a distance, it feels nebulous or it feels like, um, not necessarily real. Right. So, um, when you hear a stat, like 40 million people are the victims of slavery today, that is a shocking stat but it's so far away. It's that 10,000 foot view. Um, however, when you get to a more of that bungee jumping level of like getting to know some people who've been through it or uh, understanding, hugging somebody who's, who's, who's recovering from that, whatever the case is, um, there's a very different feeling in the pit of a person's stomach and when you're looking at it from an academic perspective versus an actual relational perspective. And um, what I would say is that unlike myself who chickened out on the bungee jumping thing, um, it's it's okay to step into it a little bit, to get a little bit closer, to take care of yourself in the midst of doing it, um, to do that inventory work, but it's, it's okay to take steps towards it. Because um, what I would say is that uh, like you, you kind of hinted at it in your intro, that Micah six eight passage. What does God require of us? Right, um, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. I feel like that's a verse that's almost undervalued in modern kind of evangelical Christianity. Kind of where I'm coming from is that we often talk about like the Great Commission, right, which is awesome, um, but we don't talk about the Great Requirement, right? What does God require of us? And I think that there is a very real um, accountability that we have to take for ourselves as Christians to say, God requires that I get my hands dirty a little bit. God requires that mm-hmm. my faith means something tangible for somebody else. Yeah. Um, it's not just a thought experiment. That's just for me. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, sorry being a bit preachy. Oh, there. that's but, so good. Uh, <laughs> that is great. And also, too, it's just it's really powerful to hear that because sometimes it's just taking that first step. It does seem like an overwhelming thing to try to combat the injustice that's happening around the world. And it seems hard for us to figure out or even fathom how we could do that as one person or, you know, collectively. But, you know, just taking that small step and helping as much as we can individually can lead to a massive impact. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really inspiring. It, it that's it was just actually making me think as well as you're saying that about yeah our like getting our hands dirty and our faith um our faith being for other people not just being about like our comforts and like our blessings and our relationship with god but instead like um getting out of our comfort zone and it not being about us being uncomfortable but it yeah it being about how god wants to use us and that includes helping and saving other people so that was very encouraging to hear
Yes. And we just want to say one last time, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for listening today. And if you want to learn more about IJM and the incredible work, please visit www.ijm.ca. So that is all for today's episode. And we will see you guys on the next one.